Hey folks, Joseph Noop here. I uh, just want to say a bit of a fair warning. The audio quality on this episode, uh, not the most amazing. Unfortunately, our guests, uh, Michael Hadwin, head of games development at Rooster Teeth, and Casey Donnellan, lead designer, they weren't able to do this in the most ideal of location. It seems like they did it in some sort of conference room with a less than ideal mic. Uh, just had to manage with what we could, of course. Uh, they were very busy having just released their new game, Vicious Circle. I'm going to work on some solutions on my end. Obviously, I can't work miracles, uh, but I'm going to work on some solutions that will hopefully deter things like this from happening in the future and making sure that you guys get these conversations with the audio quality that you deserve so uh, that it doesn't, doesn't feel like you're listening to something through the, the hood of a car. Hopefully you enjoy. Uh, we, of course, we talk about Vicious Circle, the Austin game dev scene, and a lot about like what goes into the making of Rooster Teeth games uh, as they kind of branch out in some interesting directions. So thank you, and here's the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 1099. As always, I am your host, Joseph Noop, and I'm so glad you're here with us. And today, I am super glad to have on Michael Hadwin and Casey Donnellan. Michael is the head of game development at Rooster Teeth Games, and Casey is the lead designer. Guys, how you doing? Doing great, man. It's good awesome. to be with you. Well, thank you so much again for taking some time out of your day. And you guys have just released Vicious Circle, um, available now on Steam for uh, the lovely price of $19.99. And I got a chance to actually play it, and I had a fair bit of fun with it. it it's very Evolve uh, or, or other you know team co-op or, as you put it, un-co-op uh, shooters and whatnot. And I definitely loved the style of it and everything. And uh, I don't know if people have done uh, enough of a deep dive on Rooster Teeth games as a like you know subdivision of Rooster Teeth itself. Uh, so I wanted to dive into that first. But first, let's start off with uh, Michael. From the earliest stages of your careers, it seems like art has been this really important part of of your arc. I saw you worked at like 3D Realms in the mid '90s on like Duke 3D, Shadow Warrior, but like as a marketing materials guy, like pamphlets and magazine layouts and whatnot. And I gotta say, I have a special place in my heart for graphic designers, but how does that kind of job lead you to getting a, a creative director or even like studio director position later on? Well, um, you know, every, I guess every career has a start, right? And uh, I went to school for graphic design and, and uh, actually I started in computer science, but ended up in graphic design um, and uh, thought I was gonna, you know, end up in the advertising agency um, just because I've always loved advertising art and graphic design and all that. Uh, but once I kind of got into the belly of the beast at, at 3D Realms there, you know, uh, I really had no intention of like, oh, I'm gonna go into the games development business, you know. Uh, it was an exciting, you know, uh, opportunity for me to join 3D Realms and help them with all their marketing campaigns, magazine layouts and all that type of stuff. But once I was there, I was like, hey, this is kind of cool. And so I just started talking to animators, texture artists, you know, uh, modelers. Back then there was, 3D modeling was a new thing, but, uh, and just kind of fell in love with the game development process. And, 
you know, I was very curious, um, you know, and, and also, uh, you know, didn't want to stay in one job for too long. So I learned everything, <laughs> um, everything in the art department and sometimes on the, the, the technical side of things, you know, learned enough scripting to get myself in trouble. But uh, yeah, like you said, that was back in the mid 90s. I think it was 94 when I joined uh, 3D Realms there. And uh, from there, just found myself, you know, um, once uh, Duke Nukem had shipped, uh, me and about four of the guys left uh, to start our own company, Ritual Entertainment, there in Dallas. And that was, this was the beginning of the whole like Dallas Mafia shooters, you know, uh, yeah. not like shooters around the Mafia, but they, they used to call all the, uh, used to call like It Software, uh, Einstorm, um, a few other guys, Third Law, a few other shooters that all came out of Dallas, Texas there, uh, the Dallas Mafia. And anyway, it, it was an exciting time, the kind of the golden age of shooters and, uh, yeah, just from there, you know, um, just bounced around the industry, started a few different studios myself. Uh, you know, most like you said, I, I really enjoy the art creation process. I just love uh, geeking out on, you know, what something feels like or sounds like and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, gosh, I've been doing it for about 25 years now. So I'm, I'm a dinosaur to these guys that I'm working around, but uh, I still feel like a kid at heart. So, uh, um, yeah, so... Uh, Casey and I actually worked together at Certain Affinity before Rooster Teeth Games, and I guess we can get into the question of how how that got started. But uh, but we were working on some big AAA stuff. Uh, Casey was working on Doom before he got here. I was working on Halo, the, the Master Chief Collection, and so we were kind of at that point in our career. But um, I think we were both looking for something kind of smaller and more collaborative, uh, where everybody can have a little bit more hands-on approach. Um, do you want me to talk a little bit about, you know, I guess kind of how that happened with, uh, with Rooster Teeth or? Well, yeah, I, I would love to hear about, you know, what were Rooster Teeth itself obviously is this, uh, widely famous, uh, video creation and, and just entertainment group. Uh, but to, to dive into, uh, game production is itself a very different and strange beast and I'm sure daunting for uh, the, the leaders of something like that. So yeah, what were what were the first kinds of conversations you had with uh, the folks over at Rooster Teeth um, talking about like, hey, what if our group made games or, or worked on games in some way? Right, right. Um, well, I had met the Rooster Teeth guys back in, I think, 2007, I think it was-ish, somewhere in there. Uh, they were working on some GameStop commercials. You know, they, they got famous kind of doing the red versus blue and, and that allowed them to expand into all different types of, you know, uh, media uh, uh, outlets or whatever. And uh, they had a good little business going where they were doing like kind of machinima for game commercials. And so they had this, uh, this deal with GameStop to do, you know, everything from, I think, like Madden NFL to, I think they maybe, maybe even did some Unreal Tournament stuff. Can't quite remember, but... Uh, at the time, I was running an animation studio here in uh, in Austin called Mega Squad Studios, and we did a lot of cinematic work and, and TV commercial work. We did a little bit of film work. We worked on a big ride film for Universal, the Simpsons ride, actually. It was that was a lot of fun. But I got to meet the uh, Rooster Teeth guys and uh, just struck up a, a friendship. These guys were just super fun to hang out with and, and hilarious as hell. Uh, and so we worked on this commercial, this GameStop commercial together. Um, and that was kind of the beginning of us getting to know each other. Uh, and then fast forward to like 2015. And, and those guys were always like, you know, even back then, like, man, we'd love to make games someday. We're just, you know, we're just not set up for it. You know, 
their, their business was really about playing other people's games, you know, and, uh, and making, making something new around that. Uh, but fast forward to about 2015 and, uh, yeah, I just shipped the, the Halo Master Chief project with Certain Affinity and, I was just kind of like looking for new adventures because Certain Affinity is, is a really great studio, um, but they're, they mostly work on other people's stuff. And, uh, you know, even though they're big, huge titles like Call of Duty and Doom and, and all those, uh, you find you're just, you, yourself just being a little tiny cog in a huge machine. And, uh, you know, uh, rewinding all the way back to 94, like we just talked about, it was much smaller teams. It was like 10 to 15 people who were, who were doing this. And that to me just felt so much more like why I fell in love with game development because it was a small crew kind of pulling off the impossible. You know, you we were on the, the bleeding edge of new technology and all that. And as fun as those huge AAA projects are, it just, uh, uh, I, I found myself looking for something smaller, you know, maybe, uh, and, and the chance to maybe work on something original. So uh, I reached out to the Rooster Teeth guys and uh, as luck would have it, <laughs> Uh, they had a fan that had made a, a fan game based around their Ruby franchise. I'm, I'm sure, or hopefully you're, you're familiar with their Ruby anime that they've done. It's been a huge global phenomenon. And uh, there was a fan, his name was Jordan Scott, really, really smart kid. He was uh, just outside of Toronto, I think in Burlington. I think that's where he's from. Casey? I'm not sure. I think it was Burlington, which is right outside of Toronto. Not important, but uh, the thing was, is that he had made this really, um, uh, really cool essentially like a combat demo uh, for, for the Ruby franchise. You could play as Ruby, you can knock out all these Grim, those are kind of like the, the bad guys in the world, and uh, and he posted it online, and, and it was getting a lot of buzz, and so the creator of Ruby, uh, Monty Ohm, noticed it, and was like, hey, this is pretty cool, maybe we should talk to this guy about actually making this into a real thing, and so, so they did, they reached out to him, and uh, said, we really like this, would you like to kind of make this official and real? Uh, and of course he said yes, after he probably did a few black backflips. <laughs> but, uh, um, and then and they kind of, um, from there, I think he was just all by himself. You know, for one, just the location difference, you know, we're in Austin, he's in Toronto. Uh, no one was really kind of like overseeing him or telling him what to do or, you know, offering insight on, hey, maybe we should try this first and then this second. Uh, it was taking a long time for him to do things. And, and, he, was, and he was one man. And, uh, and although he was really, really good, he did all kinds of things, animation effects, programming, you name it. He was just one guy. And uh, it's really, really hard to make a game these days of, you know, well, at least any kind of medium tier type game uh, with one person, unless you've got 10 years, you know. So um, right around the, while all this was happening was when I, you know, I called up my old friends, Matt and Bernie from Rooster Teeth. Hey, man, what you guys got cooking over there, you know? And... Uh, and Matt Allen was like, you're not going to believe this, but we've got a game in production, you know, and uh, we've got this really smart kid who's making a fan game, telling me all about it. And he said, the problem is, is that no one on our side really knows how to make games. <laughs> and uh, and this guy, you know, he needs some direction, you know. Would you be interested in coming over to Rooster Teeth and helping us build a game team and make this game? And uh, so sounded really interesting, sounded exactly the like the type of thing that I was into, which would be, you know, small teams working on stuff that uh, maybe is not huge, massive AAA, Destiny, Halo type level, but, you know, could make an impact in the, in the game spiz. I, I really love the kind of indie game development, you know, uh, rapid iteration, new ideas, taking chances, all that type of stuff. And so, uh, so I worked out, I joined them, and then, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
Jordan and I were working remotely, you know, we, we had a lot of uh, voice chats, a lot of Slack chat, chats and all that type of stuff. But I realized right away, I need someone else that I can count on uh, in order for us to start building this team around. And that was when Casey Donnelly and the amazing Casey Donnelly uh, was also kind of in a crossroads in his life and career and was considering new, uh, you know, something new. And uh, so it just, it all worked out. I ended up talking to Casey. He joined us. And from there, uh, he helped us, you know, we were using Unity. That was the game engine that we were using for, for the Ruby game. Uh, he helped us really kind of uh, basically rewrite it because Jordan had written everything in uh, JavaScript. JavaScript, right? Yeah. And Casey came in. He's a really strong engineer and uh, ended up rewriting everything in C++ and, uh, you know, just really kind of setting up the project for, you know, future proof. Uh, and then we started building a team around that. Um, we pulled off the impossible, um, and I've got uh, lots of gray hairs to prove it, but we, we ended up from the time Casey joined, like within six months, or maybe it was less from the time you joined, uh, we, we launched that game on early access and Steam, and uh, the fans just went wild. They loved it. I mean, it, it was the beginning. It was early access, but uh, the, the fans were chomping at the bit. They wanted to play this game so bad because they, they saw the earlier version that Jordan had done by himself, and then suddenly a group of five, you know, senior game developers with lots of experience kind of came in to help him fulfill that vision and, and make it into a real thing. And so it was just instantly popular and, and we were we were having a blast, man. Um, uh, but we knew we weren't done yet. So we actually added a few more guys to the team. I think we we're about eight when we finally finished. Something like that. And uh, within six months of launching on Early Access, we actually launched the full version of the game. And... Uh, it's done really well. I mean, it, it is a small game, um, but uh, the fans, you know, that, uh, that love Ruby, they just love that fantasy fulfillment of jumping in. You can be Yang, you can be Weiss, you can be, you know, Blake, wh whoever you want to be. And, uh, you know, they, they can kind of live out that fantasy of running through the world of, uh, of Remnant, which is kind of the universe that is Ruby. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience. It was a great freshman project for us. Uh, we, we learned a lot. You know, we worked out some of the kinks, and uh, and from there, I know I'm talking a lot, Casey, but please jump in when, when, whenever you want to to add something. Well, before we before we get too far ahead of ourselves, and, and believe me, I appreciate all that. I, I am curious, though, Casey. Yeah, what what put you on the path of uh, being a game designer, and uh, what what happened prior to uh, Rooster sure. Teeth for you as a game so, designer? So. Uh... I started out in the games industry as an engineer, uh, which you, you may have picked up on from what Michael was saying. Uh, I was an engineer the whole time I was at Certain Affinity, and I was the lead engineer on Ruby Grim Eclipse. And I always kind of had like a little bit of a one foot in like the game design process. You know, the, generally, it's when you design something as a designer, it's hard to like design the entire thing. And there's always like gaps to be filled in. And a lot of the times the engineers are the ones that fill those gaps in. And um, I got really good at doing that and uh, really good at like working with designers to like kind of anticipate their needs. And that kind of ended up turning into, turning me into a little bit of a designer myself. And after we shipped Grim Eclipse, um, which you know, I, I had a lot of design input in. Like I basically designed uh, the progression system for that game, for instance. 
um, we had like a kind of like a pitch fest within Rooster Teeth Games. So everybody had a chance to like pitch a game, and uh, we ended up picking the one that I pitched, which was a very different game than what Vicious Circle is today. Uh, and our like senior level designer at the time, like he he kind of uh, after Grim Clips is over, he decided to leave the company, and so he had a hole. And Michael was basically like, "Hey, Casey, do you wanna do you wanna be the lead designer on this new game?" and just see what you can do with it. So I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And it was it was my idea. So I uh, was kind of a natural fit. I kind of had an affinity for design anyway. And so I just started being a game designer. So it, it was your original like pitch idea as different as it was that was the like original kernel or maybe I should say nugget that was uh, that became a circle. <laughs> you played the game. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's the case though, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that's awesome. And I, it really seems like, so you, both of you coming from a certain affinity and uh, Michael, you yourself, like it, it's funny reading down like your, your LinkedIn page. Uh, sometimes with someone who's been in the industry for a few decades, you'll, you'll see like, yeah, I, I started this business or maybe I, I started this business or I was uh, there in the early days of this business, but you founded or co-founded like four or five different businesses. Uh, and I got to imagine something like that probably plays a role in uh, when Rooster Teeth comes to you and says, has those first conversations of, yeah, hey, we need someone who knows how to like build something from scratch because that's not nothing in game development. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, so I suppose, what did you learn from uh, founding those other studios and what 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 was the experience like getting to start from absolute scratch with Rooster Teeth, and what did you want to do differently? Oh man, that's a that's a big question. Um, well, you know, uh, I'm never afraid of, of failing. You know, I'm willing to like go at something 100 miles an hour. Uh, you know, uh, just to see if hey, this might work. Um, and uh, the only reason, only way you can really do that is if you are running your own shop. You know, and you can try things. So. I learned a lot through that process. You know, some things would work out, some things weren't, uh, would not work out. Um, but the smart man writes that down and says, okay, let's not make that mistake again. So I kind of came with a, with a big bag of tricks of things that I knew worked and things that I knew didn't work. But um, the other challenging thing about the games biz is that it's constantly evolving. So, you know, uh, some of the things that worked back in, you know, 2002 don't work in 2018 or 2019, you know. Uh, so, um, but yeah, uh, I knew that for me, um, it was about culture. Uh, I feel like games are made uh, by great games are made by great teams. And uh, I've worked on some teams where it's just like super high profile, you know, game, but everyone hates each other and uh, they hate the game. And uh, it just, it just, you can just feel that in the soul of the game. And so for me, it was more important to build a team that I felt like, you know, these people like each other, you know, they, they, they complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, I just knew that this wasn't about our first game. This was about our fourth or fifth game, you know? Um, and even with vicious circle, like this whole opportunity that, that Casey, um, has been, you know, he earned, uh, by, by pitching this great concept that the whole team voted that, Hey, yeah, we want to do that game. Um, 
it was called something different back then, or, or even our code name is called Ocelot, but that doesn't happen in big studios, you know, and, and that came from Casey gaining the trust of this team and myself to where it wasn't like just some willy-nilly decision. I knew that this guy was really a, a designer hiding in, you know, an engineer's clothing and, uh, and he's done a great job with it. So for me, again, just circling back, I, I think it's all about just building a great team and we have an outstanding team here. You know, I think we're around 20 now. Um, and some of those are, are kind of contract QA folks, but, uh, ju- you know, obviously still very important for us. QA is a very important thing, but as far as developers working on the game, we're probably about 16 or something like that, or maybe it's 15. But the point is, is, uh, we just have a really, really solid team, you know, a, a mix of senior old dudes, you know, who are grumpy, <laughs> but really good at what they do. Uh, and some new kind of young, young, fresh blood who has new ideas and lots of energy. And, and, uh, and to me, that's what's most exciting about game development. Yeah, the projects are something that, you know, it's, it's fun to be able to go out there and tell somebody, oh, yeah, we just shipped Call of Duty. I mean, that's a fun thing to say. But, you know, uh, I know just from doing this for so long that the memories you have are the ones with your team because you spend more time with them than you do with your own family, you know. So it's important that you like those people. Um, because, you know, the, when times get tough, I mean, we, we, we didn't crunch here, but, you know, near the end, we were just really trying to wrap everything up and get it all done. But, you know, when those late nights are happening, we're still kind of laughing and having, the, having a good time. You, you know that there's, there's something special there. And so, so for me, that's what it's all been about, you know, it's just making sure that I get a rock solid, you know, team. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like this is, this is only the beginning for us. We, I think we've got some, some really amazing things ahead for us, hopefully. <laughs> You uh you mentioned of course the the classic dichotomy between a, a massive studio production um, where maybe you have two hundred people and you know like the names of twenty of them and not everyone gets along of course versus of course the the smaller side of the industry going indie or perhaps mid tier and Rooster Teeth itself is kind of uh, a testament to what like a small team can do uh, of course. Uh, growing larger over the years. Uh, of course, they started, yeah, like you said, with Red versus Blue and turned that into a small media empire. Uh, what, I suppose, like, what lessons did, if any, did you learn from what Rooster Teeth's own experience was? Um, were they able to provide any sort of, well, uh, uh, input or experience in terms of saying, well, okay, now you're going to be doing this project with a really small team and here's what we've learned and here's the stumbles we've had in terms of uh, uh, media production. Um, not really. I, I would say one of the things, the most refreshing things about working with Rooster Teeth guys, you know, Matt and Bernie, Jeff and Gus and those guys is, is just the trust and creative freedom that they give us. You know, I think because, you know, you're right. Like, they were young guys in their twenties who started red versus blue in their, I think Bernie's living room, you know, his apartment, you know, so they get it. They understand that sometimes you just have to let some of these things play themselves out. And, you know, uh, but they're also, you know, by hiring me, they knew that, okay, well, at least we know we got a guy in there that kind of knows what he's doing. He's done this a few times, you know, um, and then they just really kind of got out of our way. And so that, I think, uh, no, there wasn't like they didn't hand me a handbook and say, hey, man, here's some rules that we've learned along the way. But, you know, they were always there to help with, uh, you know, when we were kind of at, uh, at uh, crossroads or whatever of, of development, like, hey, we can either go this route uh, or we can go this other one. What do you think? And uh, a lot of times it would just come down to them saying, well, 
what do you want to do? You know, and, uh, and, and that, that feels great. Right. You know, sometimes it's, it's, uh, terrifying because you're like, oh gosh, you know, the, the leaving the decisions are up to me. So, uh, it's, uh, it's my, it's my fault if it goes wrong, but you know, uh, that is the good thing too, is that everybody kind of, you know, they've got each other's back. So, um, I, I just really enjoy working with the risk chief guys. I mean, and the founders are, you can tell they're, um, they're very, you know, grassroots, uh, creative guys who, who that's where they, they were born out of that, you know, uh, just, a just a few guys, you know, messing around with an idea that became a media empire. So, uh, it is cool to be a part of that. This isn't really, uh, exactly an answer to the question either, but, um, we definitely built the game to Rooster Teeth's strengths as a company. Mm -hmm. um, we knew we wouldn't have the same kind of a marketing budget as like EA or something. So we built it with the streaming in mind. Like it, the game was really designed to be very entertaining to watch as well as to play. Mm -hmm. And I think we've seen over the last couple of days that like nailed it. Yeah, yeah, man. Like go, yeah. On, go on Twitch and watch. It's pretty entertaining. The um, the first few moments I where I played the giant uh, mutant chicken. Um, oh God, the name escapes me now. Uh, what's the Peggy Sue? Peggy Sue. <laughs> uh, yes, the 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 horrendous peacock that she makes as she charges someone uh, is is highly amusing and will probably stick with me for weeks or months to come. But uh, <laughs> let's dive into vicious circle uh, since we're kind of edging onto the topic there. Uh, vicious circle is is not immediately the kind of game I would have thought would have come out of uh, Rooster Teeth games. Partially because, of course, like it, it seems to have this very, uh, you know, like Overwatch esque uh, character based uh, abilities. It's a first person shooter slash action game. Um, there is a like ongoing support plan, of course. Uh, what, where, like you said, it came out of this uh, kind of pitch jam idea. Uh, I suppose, tell me about the differences between that original pitch and then how it morphed into this very peculiar machination. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think that the original pitch is a lot more comparable to something like Dead by Daylight, mm -hmm. um, which again may not be what you, I guess, expect Rooster Teeth games to make, but it's the kind of game that Rooster Teeth plays a lot of. Achievement Hunter. Uh, Achievement Hunter, Funhouse, they're really into those kinds of games, like Dead by Daylight, Friday the 13th, stuff like that. Um, and so we were originally kind of going more towards that hard sci-fi survival horror uh, angle. Uh, yeah. The, the like quintessential like scare compilation YouTube reaction kind of thing. Yep, yep. Yeah, they had a very, you know, kind of an alien isolation tone to it. You know, uh, Casey's original pitch was, you know, I want to take the tension of the thing with the tension of the, the alien, you know, the, the first right. one, and kind of trap a bunch of people together on a, on a space station. And let's just see if we can scare some folks, you know, and really have a cool game strategy around it. The one thing that really hasn't changed since the original, I mean, aside from the, it's always been sci-fi, is that... Uh, when you die as a, a human or a mercenary, you come back as an mm -hmm. alien. That's always kind of been like the core hook because there's this like really great human drama that comes out of that. Um, 
that I, I always knew would play really well uh, to a streaming audience. I, I could definitely see that too. Just the 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 cornball aspect of it. Uh, it. It does it does sort of mix the like horror elements of like there's this large thing running at me and uh, I, I'm definitely going to scream on camera because uh, I don't want to die. And I, I did that while I was playing the game. I was like shit 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 shit. Uh, where I suppose you guys must have, um, if, if the game went from this perhaps more straightforward, like, uh, hard edged horror experience to this wackier cartoonish one, I I imagine you guys too must be like pretty big sci-fi fans and, uh, perhaps fans of like the old school cornball, uh, John Carter of Mars or, uh, uh, like Galaxy Quest kind of things. Um, what what sci-fi is influential in your uh, kind of uh, youth? Well, that's another big question. Um, it's like asking me to pick my favorite baby, uh, my favorite, uh, favorite child. Um, well, you're right. We do love sci-fi, sci-fi you know, and uh, I really believed in, in the, the pitch that uh, Casey had put together. It was more of a, does our audience, are they expecting this from us? You know, with Rooster Teeth being a red versus blue, you know, comedy focused, you know, lighthearted, you know, are they expecting, you know, something of this high tension drama? Is that what they want from us? You know, and uh, we'd, we'd had a few shows that we'd done at Rooster Teeth that were more high drama and they just didn't, it didn't land very well with our audience, you know, and, uh, that's really was the catalyst of us being honest with ourselves saying as much as we would love to do something very, very high tension, like alien or the thing, or, you know, like a blade runner, you know, like all these different influences for us. Um, we just realized that, uh, one, we might compare to all these really, really top tier triple a kind of games and, and we can't compete with that. Um, and two, you know, we'll, Will the audience of Rooster Teeth really, really like uh, embrace that, you know, or are they looking for something that's just fun, lighthearted? Um, and obviously, you know, where, where we landed on that, uh, we decided to shift. But Casey's game mechanics always kind of stayed there. It was like the engine in the car. We, we put a new <laughs> coat of paint on it. Um, and we decided to let, let's just lean in. Let's make this an action comedy. Let's have some fun with it. And so you're, you're right on. I mean, things like Galaxy Quest came up, you know. <laughs> Casey kept saying, is this going to be space balls? And I was like, no, 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 it's not going to be that crazy. You know, yeah, I think we, I think we ended up overshooting space balls. <laughs> we may have, you know, but, uh, but we just decided, and it, it was, it actually was a little bit of like, uh, not that we were in handcuffs, but we were no longer kind of like confined within, like, we're really trying to play up this tension and each moment to moment in the game was about you creeping through hallways and, oh, I don't know when something, something's going to happen or something's going to pop out, you know? To where now we can still have a little bit of that, you know, like when Peggy Sue comes charging through and you weren't expecting it. We can still have a little bit of a jump scare, but we could also just be laughing the whole time. And man, there's been so much just like open laughter throughout our team making this game. I mean, and a lot of that has come from us literally having a discussion of like, wouldn't it be hilarious if this happened instead? And we were like, yes. And like that became a design meeting and we actually implemented on some of that. So, um, the moment where the game really became, I think, what it is today is when we went from uh, the humans or aliens winning as a team to a single mm-hmm. human winning or the alien winning. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really like the catalyst that 
that turned Vicious Circle into what it is. Because we were able to like strip away all the other stuff. There was stuff with like scavenging items and using a motion tracker to find aliens and all this stuff. And we we're able to just like boil it down to this uh, idea of like, I want to be the one to win at all costs, you know, meaning I'm going to have to screw over these other people to win. <laughs> and then the you die and turn into an alien stayed in, but it stayed in as a way a further way to screw someone over in, you know, kind of the ultimate way, which is take their body. Um, it's, it's about the dirtiest thing you can do to someone. <laughs> yeah. And not to get too much off on, on a tangent, but just on that note, and that's another example of like, if we would have been working at an EA or an Activision or somewhere else, they would have been like, this game is not working out. It's cut. We're going to push you guys over these other projects, but they gave us enough trust and, and enough rope to hang ourselves, you know, that, uh, yeah, some of the early versions of the game, they just weren't really hitting right, you know, and there, there was a confusion for new players and all that stuff. But it was when, you know, Casey, and we, we got a lot of people to come in and help help us play the game and got a lot of, you know, kind of professional opinions on things. And it, it wasn't until um, we had a couple people like say, well, what what is really working well in the game? And that was when, we really start, like Casey said, just boiling it down to like, what is actually working? And you know what? And screw everything else. Let's just really lean into that. And we found that even though it was a co-op game, we kept trying to make it a co-op game. People just really wanted to, they wanted to win. They didn't, yeah. you know, uh, and and there were little things in the game that weren't meant, the intention wasn't for people to screw other other people, but they would use a gadget or something else. And the, the cause and effect of that would be like, oh, you just screwed over your friend. You just locked them behind a door and the alien killed them, you know, and then, and that started to go, hey, you know what? But that's kind of fun. <laughs> and there's no other games really kind of like trying to do that. And so, yeah, it just became this natural process of of us just kind of shedding the fat and, and kind of, you know, I guess, just embracing who we really were, who this game really was, you know, instead of us trying to be someone else. Uh, but anyway. I would, uh, I would be curious to know, uh, either from like a, from your perspective, Michael, or perhaps a, a more design perspective, like you, Casey, uh, yeah, the game has sold itself on uncooperative is, is one of the key buzzwords here. Right. And, uh, game ongoing games that, you know, get like long-term DLC or some sort of battle pass or, or like new characters, of course, uh, the, the balancing and the game design of adding in those extra elements, uh, often relies on like, well, how will this bounce off of um, the the people on your team? If I, I used Overwatch as an example, of course, how will the new tank, you know, impact, you know, what kind of assault characters or defense characters you want to pick? Uh, but for an uncooperative game, what does that balancing and design process look like when you start to think about your long-term additions to it? Uh, because yeah, you still want to encourage people to screw over one another, uh, but still have it be a fun process. Yeah, um, it's. I think it's actually a little bit easier in some ways, um, because the the players can kind of like self govern in a way that doesn't really exist in other games. Um, like if uh, like let's say you're not doing very well, and and somebody else has picked a different character and they're you know, really succeeding a lot more, uh, you can just kind of drop what you're doing and go s steal their nuggets instead of focusing on collecting nuggets on your own. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't want 
we don't want one character to be like considerably faster at collecting nuggets than another character but each of them kind of has their own like niche that they they fit into and some of them actually do collect nuggets faster than others some of them uh, are better at fighting than others and so like there's not really almost that same like need for that very like fine-tuned balance that you would see in a game like overwatch because if somebody is kind of like pulling out ahead the other players are just going to pull them right back mm -hmm. down yeah it comes down to more of like player choice you know or your play style you know um if you want more of a heavy tank kind of character with a big wide aoe weapon do crash and burn you know um what we really focus on balance wise is like what does it look like one mercenary one mercenary versus the monster two mercenaries versus the monster and then a mercenary versus a little dipper like those are kind of like the the balance uh Ma the matrix that we take yeah. through you know axes yeah. i suppose yeah uh, and because if you get more than two mercenaries versus the monster then chances are the, the monster is just going to get vaporized in that case uh and also that fourth mercenary that's not fighting the monster they're actually the real winner because they're off collecting nuggets on their own while these other three guys are fighting over the scraps that are left behind from the dead monster have to... uh, if that oh yeah so <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like strangely like self self-governing um, it's funny too it's funny that you put it that way too self-governing uh Player input and community input obviously plays a huge role in every game, but particularly ones that plan to have like an ongoing lifespan, right? Uh, uh, so, yeah, what what have what have already? I know you guys were like on streams earlier today. I think I actually saw one of you. It might have been you, Michael, on a, a Steam stream because uh, I checked out the store page for some reason earlier today. Uh, what what is the community kind of talking to you about in these like very early stages or like even prior to release if they like played a demo or something? Uh -huh. I think the number one request is they want they want more characters and they want more maps. And uh, the good news is those are exactly the things that we're right. building right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of people, you know, a common one we get and we kind of chuckle is the chicken's too OP, you know, but uh, it just takes time for you to kind of understand how to, you know, work around uh, the chicken monster, Peggy Sue, and all that. Um, so that's one that we heard a lot in testing, but eventually, over time, people begin to realize, oh, okay, there's a strategy involved here, and it's not yeah. so OP. You know? People come in with a um, mindset that they carry over from other games of, here's this thing with this red health bar. My goal is to shoot it. And that's not quite true in Vicious Circle. Uh, that's one path to victory. But it's a very, very dangerous path, and often you're better off just running away from it, um, unless you really know what you're doing. So there's a lot of like stuff in the game to kind of like reinforce that message. Uh, but you know, you just you just kind of have to play it in order for it to like really sink in. I definitely, I definitely fell into some of the same traps of treating it like any other you know first-person shooter competitive kind of thing, and then I found myself 
at first playing the um, the grizzled old uh, space marine guy. And, uh, yeah. And uh, a- after a time, I was like, well, OK, I, I didn't think I was going to like this uh, character, but let me try out the uh, alien space lady uh, whose name also escapes me at this point. Zilla. Yeah. But uh, and, and her abilities. Yeah. Her abilities kind of like escape from danger really quickly. I, I begin to realize what in each game I play, you know, what my preferences are as a player that maybe I wasn't even aware of myself. It's the same thing in other competitive games. I was never much of a competitive player until Overwatch came along. And then suddenly I have a regular party uh, that actually resulted in me getting a, a, a very good friend slash roommate out of the deal. <laughs> but I was there. I was their healer for two years. I never, never in a million years would have thought that like I would have three or 400 hours on a like healer class character, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I I imagine players, yeah, will be surprised as the game goes on and kind of learn more the the ebb and flow of it. Yeah, to use Overwatch as a parallel, I mean, if you come into Overwatch with a Call of Duty mindset, you're going to get wrecked every game. Uh, You know, if you're just running straight into the fight and not like hanging back at your spawn to wait for other people, like, uh, it's going to go very poorly for you. I, uh, I got to ask, too, we talked a little bit about, like, the kind of base level inspiration, um, Galaxy Quest and whatnot, but uh, why why Nuggets and why a giant damn chicken? Uh, <laughs> did, did someone, like, pick up Wendy's for the office when you guys were, like, starting to <laughs> design the base of the game? <laughs> no, not quite. I think it, uh, it came from... Um... Gosh, you know, I think it may have come from us thinking about interesting monsters. And I think there was a doodle of like a chicken face or beak or something. And that just kind of sparked this whole like, well, wait a minute. What if what if the job, the mission is, is that there's this crazy fast food mogul named Big Sauce. I mean, all this just kind of rattled out of my head, you know, and uh, he's got a food factory and um, he's been using these nuggets as a secret ingredient in his sauce. And that's why this this cute little baby chicken has turned into this big mutant monster. And there were eggs for a long time. Yeah. The nuggets were, yeah, just another thing that was like, well, first, first we called them MacGuffins. We didn't even have an identity for them. Or guffs. Yeah. Guffs for short. So (laughs) the the MacGuffins were just the thing that you've got to get right. Like in any movie. Uh, And then we had, we decided to make them more like physical objects that would exist in the world. Yeah. They were valuable. Um, So I think we just had a, model of an egg and we just threw it on there yeah. and then they were eggs yeah. uh, and then eventually we were like okay we're probably not going to actually make these things eggs yeah. i think you came up with the word nuggets yeah we, we were just looking for a fun term again more or, gold nuggets than chicken nuggets sure yeah exactly that's exactly what it was but it kind of fed and in, fed into the whole food thing you know yeah. but uh but yeah we were just looking for something to be honest with you just just something that was different right. you know right. um i forget what destiny calls their little pickups what we you know it's the modes you know and and we were like let's just do something that's wacky you know and you know it's hilarious when you're hearing people like that i gotta get them nugs you know it's like it's just <laughs> it just adds to the fun of the game so uh at the end of the day yes it's a MacGuffin. you've got to get this thing and then you got to go to this other spot and you can get out but uh in code oh it's such a mess in code they're they're Guffs, MacGuffins, Nuggets, and Eggs in various different places of the code base. Like four different names for them in the files and everything. Yep. <laughs> oh my God, why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> That's just how it goes. I, uh, I, I love it when 
sci-fi games or really any sci-fi property uh, kind of looks into the future and says, okay, what's, what's going to be like the corporate dominance uh, force in this universe? Um, what was it? Uh, Fulbright Studios, uh, uh, Tacoma had like literally had Amazon uh, be the basically universal governments after they like, you know, achieved some, some level of like infiltrating the government and using their capitalist power to, to take over the world. Right. And so you had Wait, is it literally Amazon, like they call them Amazon in the game. I'm 90% sure that they say Amazon in there. Wow. So I, I haven't actually played it and mm-hmm. I need to check that out. Um, and wow. yeah, yeah, you see characters saying like, yeah, I sent my son to Amazon college or something. Uh, and he got his like Amazon job credit something i don't know so thinking about that and then comparing it to something like vicious circle uh i can only imagine the hellscape of the universe that is ruled by the the mega mcdonald's right yeah yeah you're you're very right there i mean like big sauce is uh, is a big character in the uh, universe we do want to have more clients but we but we think we have big plans for big sauce we think that he's into all kinds of stuff yeah he has a fast food mogul you know, and he's kind of feeding uh, everyone food out here, uh, which is really what's causing a lot of his problems. But uh, um, we have big plans for him to maybe be a little bit more of like you're talking about, like an Amazon type, or if you remember the movie WALL-E, the by and large, you know, um, mm-hmm. maybe maybe Biggie's Enterprises, uh, you know, you'll see him in other spots. But we're already, we're already working on uh, what could potentially be season three or four of Who's the New Client? You know, because we're going to spend some time uh, in in Big Sauce's world here, but eventually we've got a new client, and we're going to go do uh, we're going to go steal some nugs in another spot. <laughs> uh, it's just a chance for us to do some some more storytelling and universe building and all that. And I mean, the big goal for me out of this thing is not only to make a uh, a great game, but it's to it's to build a franchise. You know, we we would love here at Rooster Teeth, you know, to to make an animated series based around this show and or, or this game, and you know. Uh, the sky's the limit. You know, we uh, we're just hoping that to keep building that universe into uh, something that's much larger than just the game. You know, it, it's funny you mention expanding that universe and yeah, uh, expanding its reach as a as a property. Um, you guys published the console port of Bendy and the Ink Machine, uh, and I and I imagine provided quite a bit of support in various ways. Uh, how how in first off, how involved were you guys uh, with that? Well, I mean, um, pretty involved as a publisher, you know, we, uh, th- those guys, um, they're great developers and they, they know exactly what to do with the Bindi, uh, franchise, you know, and, and it is, they are thinking very much like a franchise kind of, uh, for that property. Uh, but we weren't, we weren't in there as a publisher saying, ah, oh, we really don't like this level or whatever else, you know, we, we just kind of let them do what they're good at. And, uh, we were there to support them. Like I say, we, uh, um, there was a lot of, you know, hectic, uh, you know, last minute stuff as it happens on games, you know, uh, uh, kind of waiting on them to kind of finalize things for the Steam um, platform uh, so that we could kind of take it from there and then port it over to PlayStation and Xbox and Switch. Uh, so, um, but yeah, that, that was our main role is we were just, uh, it was an indie, an indie title that we felt like uh, had a lot of potential and uh, we knew that if we could kind of put the megaphones of Rooster Teeth behind it, that you know those guys could uh, see a lot more success and, and that it, and that happened they worked out i mean uh they uh i don't know if we've how much we've passed over their steam um numbers but the game has done really well on steam and i'm pretty sure that we've passed it by 
um, a multiplier, you know, on all the different console platforms. So I, uh, I asked because I, uh, two and a half, three years ago or so, I, I worked at a, a Barnes and Noble as a retail day job and, uh, we sold Bendy and the Ink Machine toys. Oh, wow. And it, I, I remember, you know, watching the like first Markiplier playthrough of that back in 27, like early ish 2017, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, seeing that game go from like an episode one, not really sure if an episode two is going to come out kind of, you know, another, another YouTube horror th- classic, right? Uh-huh. Go from that to selling Bendy dolls in the back of a Barnes and Noble. Uh, uh, that that stunned me to see the growth of that studio. So, like, I suppose, did you guys learn any lessons from watching that growth and seeing Bendy and the Ink Machine property uh, go into toys and and T-shirts and the bigger brand that it eventually built? Uh, yeah, it was it was definitely fun fun to watch that and, and to be a part of it. You know, uh, I, I would say a lot of that credit for for that particular property. Um, is the Fat Mojo guys? Um, those are the same guys. So they're the ones that kind of found uh, the Bindi and Ink Machine guys, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, the Meatly Studios or whatever. I think they've since changed their name a couple of times, but uh, they kind of found those guys when they were, like you were saying, like you know, they get a little bit of buzz online. There was like a chapter one, um, but one of the guys at Fat Mojo, I, his name escapes me right now, but he. He's really good at like seeing those trends. He's actually the guy who found Minecraft, but more before Minecraft was a thing, and signed them on to do their merchandise. Uh, wow. So he saw Bendy coming along and was like, "This game has got legs. This is going to be a big thing." And so he jumped in. And even before the game was really like a phenomenon, they were already selling toys, like you say, and they were because they knew this is merchandisable, you know. And uh, so that that was kind of fun to to be a fly on the wall watching all that happen, you know? But I will say, you know, Rooster Teeth is pretty damn good at that stuff too. I mean, they they have a, a massive merchandising business and, you know, are, are pretty good about even just turning jokes. Like there was a joke on a podcast about people like grapes and, and to this day, you know. Best selling Rooster Teeth <laughs> shirt of all time. Yeah, there's, there's a shirt that just says people like grapes, <laughs> you know, um, which is hard to imagine, but yeah. Uh, so they have a huge merchandise business here at Rooster Teeth and uh, you know, are really good at knowing kind of like what works and what doesn't with their audience and beyond. I mean, like with the Ruby stuff, that's the one that's the one that's really kind of broke out. I mean, Rooster Teeth is a huge community, like 46 million, something or another in the community. But uh, but that particular one has gone global and like there's even you can buy merchandise and Hot Topic. So um, so I, I hope, you know, uh, we can all hope that uh, Vicious Circle continues to, you know, um, trend well and, uh, and, and, you know, they'll be in the back of Barnes and Noble one day. Yeah. If there's still a Barnes and Noble, I don't know if there is, but. <laughs> I, Are they? Okay. They're still going. Yeah. I, 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 when I left, uh, to move to Los Angeles, my, my Illinois Barnes and Noble was still there plugging along. And, uh, All right, cool. I, get, I get texts from, I get texts from my old boss because he's a, a former GameStop manager, uh, saying, do you see the latest game news? If you like, I, yeah, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, tell you what, as we wrap up here, um, or begin to, I uh, will we'll leave off with like two questions here. I, I am very curious. You mentioned, of course, the, the multiple Ruby properties uh, is its own giant beast. And yeah, I, I've walked through many a hot topic and seen Blake on a shirt. Uh, a lot of some of the Ruby stuff you guys have done and also like the million dollars, but uh, 
Rooster Teeth clearly has a love for tabletop gaming and card gaming and party gaming. And I can see a lot of that, you know, translates into Vicious Circle uh, as a designed as a party game or a game for you to kind of, you know, screw around with your friends. Uh, but from a tabletop aspect, does Rooster Teeth games take any inspiration from uh, different kinds of tabletop games uh, or, or find any sort of inspiration in the mechanics that the differences in those mediums? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think, you know, Casey can speak more to this, but a part of his original pitch was, you know, I forget what the board game was that you referred to. Yeah. But... Um, have you ever heard of a board game called Space Alert? No. Um, a lot of the original design was kind of inspired by that game and also Bang uh, a little bit. They're, okay, they're more I, I, of a I, hidden identity kind of thing in, in the original pitch that we didn't really end up going anywhere with there was a betrayal yeah aspect to i think honestly if you want to make a comparison between vicious circle and a board game i would pick carcassonne that's uh hmm. to me that is the most vicious board game i'm sure there's others <laughs> that are that are more vicious but uh that's a game where like you can have one of the other players be working on something like the whole game and then you steal it from them right at the last second <laughs> and then you win the game like that is uh, that is a vicious circle through and through, but in board game form. That's awesome. I I've never been able to play Carcassonne, but uh, that and like you know, Sellers of Catan, of course, the the classic. Like I will trade you three sheep for some wood. Uh, I I love any game where half of it relies on human nature and not necessarily a rule set put on paper. Right. Oh, the the classic move in Catan is you have, um, I think the. I don't remember what the card is, but it's everybody has to give you all of that resource they have in their hand. So you mm -hmm. pretend like you want to trade. It's like, does anybody have any sheep? And then they're like, yeah, I got a lot of sheep. And then you play the card, and then you get all the sheep out of their hand. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will say, though, uh, tabletop gaming, I mean, we got a lot of game lovers here. Obviously, Rooster Teeth was, you know, uh, built around the idea of playing games. They played Halo and made funny videos on it, you know, but. Yeah, there's a lot of board games uh, activity around here. In fact, our community manager, uh, Brian Riley, is, uh, he's also the, the head of tabletop games. And so he was a big uh, influence behind that million dollar spark card game and uh, the Achievement Hunter Heist game that we did, which I, I'm a big fan of. And then uh, we just released recently the Death Battle card game, which is a lot of fun. He's also Ruby Combat Ready. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. Um, who was the group that did that with us? They're, that was a partner, a big time partner. That did that. Uh, yeah, um, their name is escaping. They did Sheriff of Nottingham also. Um, yeah. Really, really big group. We just can't think of the name right now. But uh, uh, we knew for that particular one that we wanted to make, you know, a really just like almost like collector's edition type, you know, board game with uh, figurines and then the whole bit. And so we, uh, we trusted those guys to do it for us. Um, Arcane to, Wonders. Arcane Wonders, yeah, yeah. Um, those guys. Well, you tell uh, you tell your colleague that they, they did a wonderful job with Million Dollars Butts uh, marketing strategy because my, my roommate here in L.A. and I just happened to find a copy of it in our apartment after we moved in one day. So <laughs> <laughs> clearly something is going right. Yeah, so tell you what, we'll wrap up here with, uh, tell me a little bit about the Austin game dev community. I don't know, I don't feel like I, even as working as games media, I don't feel like I hear a lot about the Austin game dev world, even though Austin is has long been known as a hub of technology and it's, it's 
the next San Francisco for better or worse. Uh, what What is the de- game dev community like, and perhaps what have you learned from your peers in that area? Oh man, it's gone it's gone through a lot of uh, ups and downs, you know. Um, but as of today, I mean, all the big boys are here. Uh, Nintendo is here as Retro Studios. Uh, Bioware is here. Uh, Sony is here. Um, Microsoft is here, I guess, under the guise of who they own now. Uh, but Bethesda is here, yeah, um, which I guess includes Arcane. Yeah, you Bethesda know. has like a couple of studios here. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's a lot of really big studios, which is great because, you know, it's a healthy community. You know, those guys employ, you know, hundreds of people at a time. And so that, that's great. Uh, but then there's just, gosh, like an almost endless number of smaller little indie devs, you know. Um, uh, Alchemy Labs is another kind of recent success story that came out. They're a VR company who got bought by Google. You know, uh, there's oh, yeah. Gunfire Games. There's a... There's a lot of just little small shops, you know, 10 to 15, making really cool things, you know. Blue Point's here, right? Blue Point's here, yeah. I mean, uh, Armature is still going. Um, yeah. It's a it's a really active scene, you know. Uh, it's funny, I've, I've been in the Austin area for around 20 years, almost 20 years. And so I've kind of seen the ups and downs. And when I first moved here, it was all about MMOs. You know, if you aren't working in an MMO, then, you know, you don't have a job. And uh and it was, uh, you know, there was EverQuest. It was all the stuff that. Um, yeah, SOE was here. Well, yes, yeah. The Daybreak, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they were doing uh, Star Wars Galaxies, and you know, there's all these massive uh, multiplayer games that were happening. And uh, but eventually, you know, as the gaming industry does, that shifted, and so. Um, but it's a really active scene. I mean, there are a, a lot of, that used to be a joke, you'd throw a rock and hit a game developer in Austin, you know. Uh, and so, so we've had our ups and downs, but I'd say right now it's it's a pretty healthy, you know, community. Um, I was going to say, when I first got here, it, it was a lot more of social kind of stuff happening, like all the different studios would kind of get together, and maybe I'm just not as social anymore, but um, I don't see that happening as much as it used to, But because I, th- I think... That's what it does with, like, Juegos Rancheros. Yeah, that, that's, true. that's true. I mean, that's more like indie. Yeah, it's more the indie crowd, but, but I think just the bigger studios have a tendency to be so much more secretive, and, and you know you're threatened to lose sure. your job if yeah. you go out and say anything about you know the project you're working on. So it gets harder for people to kind of get together, have a drink, and then accidentally go, "Oops, ah, I just slipped what we're working on," you know. So uh, I want to go way back. I mean, the guy that brought the game industry to Austin is uh, Richard Garriott. Yeah. Oh he wow! Yeah. Founded Origin here, and they were making Ultimate games and. Uh, online yeah, yeah he's i mean he's still here he's still making games yep. um big house on the hill they make uh, his castle shroud of the avatar yep uh yep. kind of like mmo portalarium yeah portalarium that's his new new talk group. about yeah. talk about throwing rocks you can't throw a rock without hitting a developer who's uh been influenced in some way by ultima it seems yeah yep yeah you know, put Austin on the map that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> I've I've wanted to go. Uh, my partner has family there, and uh, the the multitude of game industry stuff and po- also podcast industry stuff uh, it would be a little Christmas to me, I think. But uh, mm-hmm. guys, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day. I know you guys are busy with like literally the game launched yesterday, so I know. Uh, I've, I've interviewed enough developers in my day to know that time does not stop once you've released the game and uh, the work continues onward. So uh, I'll leave you with uh, w- 
the big general question I think every developer gets, what do you hope for the future of Vicious Circle and what do you hope the, the community um, takes away from it? Oh, well, I guess, I guess I'll go, you know, I, I hope they see it for what it is. It's something different. We really tried to shake up the shooter genre. You know, we were like, everyone else is trying to do this. Let's try to do something else. Let's try to do something new, something fresh. And I hope that people embrace that because like Casey said earlier, a lot of people come into the game with preconceived notions of like, I'm supposed to do this. It's X, Y, Z. And you're telling me it's ABC. I hope they, you know, will begin to realize, oh, this is new and this is different. And, uh, you know, it's not like we're working on some kind of a battle royale type genre, but, you know, hopefully that they see the shooter genre can, um, um, it can be different anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hope I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking here in a second, like Casey talk, but I just hope that we, our, our audience continues to grow with us as we build new content. And I'm hoping by this time next year, the game has got so much more content and, uh, you know, new stuff for the people to play around with at the $20 price point is, is a steal. You know? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the immediate future, um, we're going to be releasing three new events during season one. Uh, so that's like kind of between now and December ish. Uh, so an event is like when you're in game, you see like the nugget sack or the void eyes. They're kind of like these occurrences that happen in the middle of a, of a round. And they're, they're kind of like flashpoints for all the mercenaries to go and collect a whole bunch of nuggets. Uh, and the one, one that's coming out in just a couple of weeks is a slot machine. So basically a, a literal slot machine appears in a level and you can go jam nuggets into it. And uh, most likely you will uh, double the amount of nuggets you put in, but it could take all of them or it could give you three times as many. So there's things, things along that nature, basically like these chances to, or you could put a whole bunch of nuggets in and somebody teleports you away and then steals all, all of your winnings. <laughs> uh, but chances to like, you know, get a whole bunch of nuggets really quickly and uh, these flashpoints for mercenaries to come together and interact with each you're other. A, you're an devious so we have three of those plans. We have a new gadget coming, and then we're going to be adding some new options to Cosmic Chaos as well. You're a, you're a very devious designer, Casey. I, I hope you... Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I mean, you know, you got to lean into it. You know, <laughs> once we decided that's what this game was going to be... Uh, you, you got to go all the way. Yeah, I, I tell people when they're doing interviews, like we're we're really nice people. <laughs> it's just uh, we have to go to a dark place sometimes when we're having design discussions. I think that <laughs> with vicious circle, the thing that makes everything okay is that the rounds only last like three to five minutes. Yeah. In a board game, it's like you betray someone in a board game, and you got to. You spent two hours. Yeah, you know, we we spent you spent an hour and a half like you know building that trust, and then you betray someone, and it feels so much worse. Uh, <laughs> But in Vicious Circle, it's like, you know, betrayal is almost the norm. Yeah. So. Awesome, guys. Well, hey, uh, I, I hope that the community loves it, and I hope that things go well in the future, both near and far, for the Vicious Circle. Um, thank you so much again for taking some time. And, folks, uh, every Monday you can find a new episode of the 1099 Podcast here on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and elsewhere. <laughs>